0: Welcome to another episode of Her Head in Films. I'm Caitlin, and I'm your host. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and feelings about the films that I watch. They tend to be art house and world cinema. What makes this podcast unique is that I weave together my life experiences with an in-depth and personal discussion of films. I explore the impact that cinema has on me and why I connect so deeply to it. As I like to say, my head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. Today's episode is about Chilean director Pablo Lorraine's 2016 film, Jackie. It stars Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy and looks at the days after the assassination of her husband, President John F. Kennedy, in 1963. It centers her perspective and reveals the depth of her grief and trauma. I talk about how accurate the film is in depicting Jackie's psychological disintegration. I delve into her real life after John F. Kennedy's death. I also explore how the film represents a woman in mourning and why that's so powerful to me as a person who's endured a lot of loss and who struggles with grief. I'm actually going through a difficult time right now. There's been some anniversaries that have been hard for me. I talk about the death of my father and I share personal details about things that I went through when I lost him 13 years ago. The anniversary of his death just passed as well as his birthday. So I have a lot of emotions right now. And what I'm doing is trying to channel those into this episode and to share with you the devastation of that loss and why this film in particular, Jackie, resonates with me so much in the way that it depicts grief. I even address criticisms of this film and why I disagree with all of them. This is a packed episode. I definitely hope that you like it. I just want to warn you, this is a heavy episode at times. I talk about violence and trauma. There's blood and gore in this film when it depicts the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And I do depict some of those scenes. And so if that's hard for you, I just wanted to kind of warn you about it. It's it's intense at times. And there are also spoilers in this episode her head in films has a patreon where you can financially support the work that i'm doing on a monthly basis and access all kinds of rewards and extras like bonus episodes and merchandise you can find more information at patreon.com slash her films that's patreo dot com films at one level you get a shout out on each episode so i'd love to give a shout out first to my new patron eddie thank you so much And I'd also like to give a shout out to my other patrons, Lane, Haroon, Thomas, Kelsey, Aaron, Max, Tyler, Juan, Teal, JD, Vanessa, Spunden, Polina, Olivia, Carolyn, Jesse, Feminist Overlord, and Michelle. Thank you all so much. If financial support is not an option for you, and I definitely understand if it isn't, please consider reviewing the podcast on iTunes and or Stitcher. If you leave a review on iTunes, I'll share it on a future episode. Please give me five stars. You could also tell your friends and followers about her head in films. I really feel like this is the kind of podcast, because I'm not talking about mainstream or popular films, and because it's such an intimate and personal podcast, I really feel like the only way people are going to discover it really is through that word of mouth. So definitely if you know a cinephile in your life and they have like an emotional connection to some of the films I'm talking about, you know, maybe let them know about the podcast and they might like it. You could also interact with me in a positive way on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for Her Head in Films and you can also see links to all my social media accounts listed in the show notes of each episode. So I'm ready to share this episode with you. I put a lot of heart and soul into it. I did a lot of research and I just really hope that you like it and that you find value in it for your own life. And so here is my exploration of Pablo Lorraine's Jackie. Really honest about my current mental and emotional state as I record this episode, and also share why I wanted to talk about this film, with what this film means to me. Not every film that I watch emotionally affects me, and that's how we all are. Not every film that we consume moves us or resonates with something in our lives. But Jackie, for me, does. It's a really personal film. And as I record this in June 2019, the 13th anniversary of my father's death just passed. And I talk about him a lot on the podcast, but those of you who might be new listeners, he died when I was 16 years old in 2006. And it was a devastating loss for me. And it's one that I continue to grapple with all these years later. And I think a lot of people would hear 13 years and they would think, well, you must be past it. You must have moved on. You must be over it. You must be able to cope with it. Maybe yes and maybe no. I, I think it's a bit of both. I never thought I would be here in, you know, with this 13-year number because... I still remember when he first died. I I could not comprehend even living a day without him, let alone a year or 10 years. How do you comprehend that? For me, time is not a healing force. I know for some people it is. I think for me, maybe it's a numbing force. Usually around his anniversary or on the day of it, I'll look at pictures of him or I'll do something like that and I didn't do that this year. I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. I can't really look at pictures of him anymore because I just fall apart. I break down. I find that time, time makes it more painful because I'm farther away from him and I'm farther away from that life and also I'm haunted by... The what ifs, I'm haunted by what would my life be like right now if he were alive? Who would I be if I had not been that 16 year old girl initiated into death, initiated into loss? Because it had a profound impact on my mental and physical health. I had severe depression and anxiety in the wake of his death. And I still have those things. I still struggle with them. I had agoraphobia where it was difficult for me to leave the house. I would define myself even now as very reclusive. And I'm very much like a hermit. I don't really like to be out in public spaces. And I think the residue of that agoraphobia is still with me. It's still quite strong. His death initiated a life of fear for me. I am a profoundly scared person. Once you know death, once you know that someone you love can just disappear and be gone and you'll never speak to them again and you'll never see them again because I'm an atheist and I believe that when we die we're gone I don't believe in any kind of reunion how do how do you live with that every day that this person who you were so close to I was profoundly close to my father and we were friends best friends and I'm so glad that I'm glad that at least I got to be a teenager and get to know him. I think about people who have lost parents maybe when they're seven or eight when they didn't really get a lot of time with their parent. And even though I only got 16 years, those 16 years were really rich and beautiful and meaningful. And I'm so thankful I got to know him. I'm glad that I know the music he loved and that I know things about him. I say 13 years, and it may seem like a lot, but for me, it's not. For me, it happened yesterday. I remember everything about it. I still have flashbacks to it. It was such a bright blue day that every time I see a bright blue sky, I think about it. I think about how such a beautiful day could turn into such horror. And when I was watching Jackie, when she first arrives in Dallas, and she's being greeted and she's getting the flowers. I noticed how bright the sky was. How blue it was. What a beautiful day it was. And she had no idea what was coming and what she would lose. So 13 years, it's nothing really. Because every day I have to live without him. And every day I have to live with what his death turned me into. And the damage that it did. And the way that it shattered me and broke me and just how scared it made me all the after effects of it that doesn't go away but at the same time I try to hold on to the memories and the beautiful things about the life that we had together and I guess that's all that we can do right and then his birthday also came just a couple of days ago and he would have been 59 years old he died when he was 45 He died quite young and I think about it now and it sort of staggers me how young he was. And you know, I think about on that day what we would have done for his 59th birthday. We probably would have gone and bought a cake for him. And I think about the presents I would have bought him because he loved music and he loved sports and I think about those gifts that I could have given him, but I can't. And it's just hard to believe that his life is really over and finished and that mine continues, but it doesn't really. In a lot of ways, I'm just frozen in that moment. I'm just paralyzed as that 16 year old girl hearing her mother scream, hearing what came out of the doctor's mouth, that he was dead. You know, I'm in this room that I can't get out of that's locked in a way. And I just still can't believe that happened and I can't believe I'm here living it. That I'm living in a world that no longer contains him. I carry that with me every millisecond of every day in my tissues, in my bones, in my veins, that knowledge. So I'm very much someone who's in a kind of perpetual grief, perpetual mourning. And Jackie, I think the heart of this film is... It's about a woman's grief. Uh, it's about trauma. It is deeply emotional. There is an emotional core to this film that knocked me out the first time I watched it. And the second time watching it for this episode. Because I always, always rewatch films. I, there's no way I can talk about them from memory. I have to have the emotional... Um, Experience of it again, it still knocked me out. It really did. So, I record this episode within the context of my own pain, obviously, living through these anniversaries. And what I wanted to do is to channel the pain that I'm feeling the really overwhelming, crippling pain that I feel. I wanted to channel it into something that was more productive. I don't have a lot of friends, I have my mom pretty much. So it's not like I have people to talk to or open up to about it. I just decided this year with his birthday and with his death day, and they're very close together, which is heartbreaking. I decided that I would take what I was feeling and I would put it into the podcast, that I would put it into these episodes, that this is where I would deposit everything that I was feeling so that maybe somebody else would hear their own experience, or even if you don't have the same experience as me maybe time has been healing for you maybe you do cope with loss better than I do I don't cope with anything well anymore that maybe you can hear a different perspective or maybe you have people in your life who are like me and who went through some kind of devastating loss and they haven't been able to ever be who they were before that loss that it has irrevocably altered them And maybe I can give you some insight into that and why that is. I don't know. I hope that these episodes can foster empathy and connection and and intimacy. And that's all I'm trying to do, really. I just decided that I wanted to take all of these feelings and emotions, the messiness of them, and I just wanted to channel them somewhere else. And I wanted to share them in a space that felt safe and felt just felt more positive I guess and so I'm talking about Jackie <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do Um that's all I can do I mean I've been trying to do a lot of self-care because I deeply believe in that and I don't believe in it as this way of just uh, you know being a consumer or consumerism or something Because we know that capitalism has co-opted this idea of self-care, that you need to buy things. That's not what I do or what I believe. When I say self-care, I mean something, you know, doing things that make you feel good and that comfort you and that help you uh, survive and that restore you in some way. So I like to meditate. I'll just listen to calming music and breathe in and breathe out. And I do aromatherapy, like essential oils. I really like that, like lavender and things like that. I love sheet masks. I've gotten really into the sheet masks. (laughs) And like, I'll put a sheet mask on and I'll just listen to calming music. And sometimes I try to pamper myself in little ways, in inexpensive ways. But it, it seems little—oh, a sheet mask, or meditation, or um, you know, painting my nails, or you know, putting on lotion, or just something where I take care of myself. Because I don't always do that. I don't always feel worth anything. I, I often just feel so worthless as a person. So I do think self-care is important. Doing things that make you feel good for a little while. So I've been doing that as well. And then also I I wanted to do these episodes, even though it's actually been hard for me. Like I really had to force myself to watch Jackie. I had to force myself to do this episode because I could easily just lay in bed and not move. You know, that's much easier for me when the pain becomes so unbearable. And when I just don't have a lot to give and I feel really burnt out right now, um, So I apologize if the episode is not as great as maybe I envisioned it or wanted it to be. But just know that I'm doing the best that I can. That not every episode can be perfect or can be profound. But that I put what I have at the moment into every episode. I can only give what I have. And some days I just don't have a lot to give. I really don't because I feel like so much has been taken away from me. I still, I hope that this episode uh, has some value for anybody who's listening to it. The very, very few of you (laughs) who listen to it. So Jackie is about Jackie Kennedy obviously and the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I just wanted to provide some basics about this historical event in case you don't know a lot, in case it's just been a while for you since you learned about it, or say you're not in the United States and you're just not really familiar with it. I mean here in the States the Kennedys are almost royalty. They take up a lot of space in our cultural imagination And they're a family that we've been obsessed with for decades and decades. So the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and at times I'll call him Jack, because that was a name, that was a nickname he went by a lot, was Jack Kennedy. And his brother, Robert Kennedy, often was called Bobby. So I might go in and out of that. Instead of saying Robert Kennedy, I might just say Bobby, instead of saying John F. Kennedy. I might say Jack, or I might say JFK, but the assassination happened on November 22, 1963. John F. Kennedy was, at that time, our president. He had only been in office a little over two years, I believe. While he was in Dallas, Texas, in a motorcade, he was shot dead by Lee Harvey Oswald, who was later apprehended after he fled, and he also ended up killing a police officer. And uh, on November 24th, just a couple of days after the assassination, Oswald himself was assassinated by Jack Ruby and Jack Ruby would go on to die in prison. He was in this motorcade, John F. Kennedy was, Jackie was beside of him and in front of them was the governor of Texas, John Connolly and his wife, Nellie. So one bullet went through Kennedy's neck at first and it exited his neck and hit Governor Connolly in the back and injured him but Connolly survived those injuries. Another shot this was the devastating one it hit Kennedy's head and basically his head exploded and you see that in the film which is very graphic and gory but there was I was reading something and there was a witness to it who described it that way that basically JFK's head exploded It caused blood and brains and all kinds of gore to go everywhere, including onto Jackie Kennedy's Chanel suit that she was wearing, that pink Chanel suit. There was a Secret Service agent named Clint Hill, and he was behind the vehicle at the time, and he got up to the vehicle, got in the back of it. You see that in the film, him climbing onto the car, and he was trying to protect the the president at that time. It's an unimaginable scene and I went on Wikipedia and it said, quote, in a long redacted interview for Life Magazine days later, Mrs. Kennedy recalled, all the ride to the hospital, I kept bending over him saying, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? I love you, Jack. I kept holding the top of his head down trying to keep the, the president's widow could not finish her sentence, This is the central Scene of the film, and I'll go deeper into it in a little while, but I just wanted to set the stage and talk about this event. There were several home movies made of the assassination. There were people there, you know, with their cameras who were recording the motorcade. This was also a deeply traumatic event for the United States. I can't explain to you how profoundly traumatic it was. Everybody who was alive at that time knows exactly where they were and what they were doing when JFK was killed. They, they just know it. Or when they heard that he was dead, it was devastating to this country. And I would say the only thing that's similar is like 9-11, September 11th, 2001, here in the United States. I know exactly where I was and what I was doing when 9-11 happened. It was completely traumatic. It felt like the world was ending in some way and i would imagine that when jfk was killed that was the similar feeling in the country that what is going on and then oswald is killed by jack ruby that was shocking and that was just a couple of days later so this was a very unstable chaotic scary time in our country's history and you feel that in the film you feel like when when they don't want to tell jackie that oswald's been killed by jack ruby And she was outside with the kids. And and felt like she had put their lives in danger. She didn't know who had done this. Why they had done it. There was so much that wasn't known at that time. Later on there would be a commission done about the killing of JFK that said Leah Harvey Oswald acted alone. There's a lot of people that dispute that. There's a ton of conspiracy theories that I won't even go into or try to parse in any way. I'm not an expert on this but this this assassination is just a touchstone in our country's history really. It's interesting because this has a connection with me and my dad because my dad actually was really fascinated with the JFK assassination. I think he used to record um, shows about it, like on VHS tapes, blank VHS tapes, like on the History Channel back in the day when they would actually show documentaries about history now they just have a lot of reality tv I think but my dad and I used to watch documentaries together we used to watch the history channel a lot and he was really fascinated by history I remember before he died I have a really clear memory of us watching a history documentary or a history channel documentary about the earthquake of San Francisco the one that hit in the early 20th century I don't know what the year was and I remember us watching the the, the special about that and it, it's just a memory that stays with me and I remember us watching documentaries about September 11th together. It was something that interested both of us. It's It's something that I kind of hold dear that this was an interest of his. I don't know what he thought. I don't know if he believed any of those conspiracy theories. I hope not. My dad was a really practical person and rational. So I hope that he didn't believe all that crazy stuff. But it's just interesting to note that he had a fascination with it. And I think a lot of people do. It still doesn't totally make sense. So this film has a really interesting cast and I think a strong cast in in some respects. We have Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy. I mean she is the the central figure of the entire film. She's in I guess every scene. I think she is in every scene. She carries the film. This is the Like the performance of her career up to now, up to this point in my opinion. It's shocking to realize she did not win the Academy Award for this performance. Emma Stone won for La La Land. I'm not going to say anything. I I don't like to get negative on the podcast, but I definitely disagree with that decision. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest. I think that this performance is probably even better than what she did in Black Swan. She just puts everything into this film and I will talk more in depth about her performance later. With Peter Sarsgaard as Bobby Kennedy for me this was a misstep. I did not believe Peter Sarsgaard as Bobby Kennedy personally. He didn't even have the accent really. You know I thought Bobby had like a New England accent. And it kind of went in and out. I like Peter Sarsgaard. I think he's a good actor. And I always like him in things that I see him in. He just didn't work for me as Bobby Kennedy. We have Greta Gerwig as Nancy Tuckerman. And she was like an assistant to Jackie Kennedy. And she would actually remain her personal assistant up until her death. They were very close. And you see some of that close relationship in the film. And Greta Gerwig is... Uh, delightful. I love Greta Gerwig. <laughs> How can you not, really? She's so adorable and uh, and wonderful. We have Billy up as a journalist that Jackie talks to. You don't see Billy in a lot of stuff. It's only, I think, in the last few years that he started to be in more things. He's really known for Almost Famous and then his career kind of stopped and now maybe it's starting to pick up again. He's really good. I think he works good in the film. And then we have John Hurt as a priest. So this is a strong cast. But for me, the star of the show, obviously, is Natalie Portman. So I just want to give a little bit of info behind the film. Because I always find this stuff fascinating, personally. I, when I used to buy DVDs years and years ago, when I like found them at Blockbuster for... Like, four for $20. What I loved most about DVDs was the extra features. Was the, like, featurettes and the little documentaries and the director's commentary. And I loved knowing the the behind-the-scenes stuff about the film. How the actors got prepared. All kinds of things like that. I mean, I think for some people, maybe it can destroy the experience. Like, you want to go into this and, and give yourself over to the film and maybe when you learn about what's behind the curtain or how the sausage is made, as they say, like maybe it's not as magical, but to me it's incredibly interesting. So this film was executive produced by Darren Aronofsky. He actually got the script around 2010 and wanted to make a make the film. I think he was going to direct it, and eventually he decided not to. And he and he had a, pro, a producing role. He met Pablo Lorraine at the Berlin Film Festival and at the time Pablo Lorraine had a film called The Club that he was showing and The Club is a very powerful film. It was the first Pablo Lorraine film that I ever saw. It's about the sexual abuse of the Catholic Church but set in Chile. In interviews Lorraine has talked about how he met Darren Aronofsky at the Berlin Film Festival. That's when they first met, and then Aronofsky sent him the script, and Lorraine decided to do the film. Now, at the time, he was about to make Neruda, his biopic about Pablo Naruda. I haven't seen that. I want to, though. So he had to do Naruda first, and then he decided that he was going to do Jackie. So he did them back-to-back, which is really interesting. And they came out really close together as well, I think. Lorraine's main stipulation was that he would not do the film unless Natalie Portman played Jackie. He says in interviews that Natalie Portman had a mystery about her that he thought was necessary. He said to RogerEbert.com in an interview, quote, Natalie could be telling you while playing a role everything that she feels and thinks and what is going on with her and you could look at her and still not know what was really going on. That mystery is the key to this movie and also the key to cinema, unquote. So there's this mystery about Natalie Portman in the way that she plays Jackie and I tend to agree. I, I love Natalie Portman. I'm a big fan of her, big fan of her acting, big fan of her as a person. I think she's spectacular and I think she's incredibly talented. And no matter what movie she's in, I mean she's good in something like this in Black Swan. And then she's also great in a film like Where the Heart Is. Like if you've seen that, I love Where the Where the Heart Is, okay? She's in it with Ashley Judd and Stockard Channing. She gives birth to a baby like in Walmart. It's it's based on this book. It's sort of a very different kind of film. Sort of uh, off kilter a bit. But it's so good and she's so good in it. So her range is spectacular. And she agreed to do it. She was totally on board. Pablo also talks about how he asked Aronofsky, why me? Like, why would you want a Chilean director? And Aronofsky's thinking, and I actually think it was a brilliant uh, move, is that he said that he, he wanted someone who was outside of the United States, who was not going to be affected by the mythology of the Kennedys, who could really look at the story in a different way. And I love that. I really love that. Aronofsky gave Pablo Lorraine full artistic control with this film, like completely, and that that's not an easy thing to get nowadays, and Lorraine had it. In an interview, Natalie Portman talked about the circumstances surrounding the shooting of the film. The interiors that you see were actually filmed in France, and they were meticulously recreating the inside of the White House and different rooms. So everything that's that's shot inside was done in France. And then they did the exterior shots in the United States, obviously. Like in the capital and places like that. I was really shocked to learn that um, before they started filming in 2015, it was actually uh, just a week before they started filming that the terrorist attacks in Paris, France happened. Uh, In particular, the Bataclan Where 90 people were murdered and uh, many others were killed, like on the streets and, um, you know, in cafes and places like that. It was this coordinated terrorist attack. It was horrifying. And she said that a lot of the crew for the film lived in that neighborhood and some of them even lost friends. So here they are about to start this film that explores grief. And explores like devastating violence, a devastating, horrific event, and they themselves are personally affected by something like that and She said that that mood was on the set that people people felt that you know they brought that to the set, and they themselves were going through something so personally devastating. In their country, you know, it had a national resonance and even a global resonance when those attacks happened. I just I was shocked by that 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 happened right before they started filming, and that there were odd parallels between that attack and then the content of the film, which is so much about grief and loss and violence. And this is a period drama. This is what you would call a historical drama, and those can tend to be like distancing. Like they can tend to, I don't know, they can tend to put people from history like um, at a remove or at a distance from you where, you know, if you're watching a film about Mozart or something, you're not necessarily connecting to those people from that time period, from hundreds of years ago, right? I think period dramas, um, they can be really beautiful and very interesting. I'm not against them, I love them. I watch tons of period dramas. But sometimes they don't always have the emotional resonance, or you don't connect with the characters, or they can be kind of stiff, I guess would be the word. But I find that with this film, even though it's a period drama, it's incredibly emotional and delves into the emotional inner life of a woman, really unraveling, a woman who's grieving. And I thought Pablo Lorraine said something really interesting in an interview. He said, quote, what we wanted to do was understand a feeling. That was the biggest challenge. The script was great. The crew was wonderful. But it all comes down to that emotional path and where it's taking the audience. We had to share that feeling, not just facts, unquote. And it made me think a lot about how films are about feelings that films are feelings themselves. Like, I don't know, I think this is why cinema is so powerful in our lives, especially for me, maybe for other cinephiles too, is the way that the images on the screen can convey very deep, unspeakable emotions without any words. I mean, Jackie doesn't need to be speaking in this film for us to feel and understand her horror. Natalie Portman does it with a look. She does it with the way she lights her cigarette the way she lays in bed everything the way she walks everything in her body in her movements in her mannerisms conveys the inner turmoil and grief of this woman this film is about a feeling about the feeling of grief and about the feeling of trauma that is what's so powerful about it. and Even though there's so many important historical details, especially the, the production design and the art direction, it's meticulous, it's amazing, and a lot of the things in the film happened. A lot of the things are true. He he does such a great job, Pablo Lorraine and Natalie Portman, everybody involved, of going beyond history, beyond just the facts, and giving us feelings. And I think that's why I, I loved the film so much. I I went into it, I was like, I have been wanting to see Jackie for a long time. It interested me. I have an interest in the Kennedys, as I just said earlier watching documentaries about the assassination. But also I didn't mention that I do have an interest in the Kennedys. I used to watch documentaries about them. I have a major crush on John F. Kennedy Jr. when he was alive. I still remember when he died. It was incredibly uh, painful and horrific when he died. So I, I wouldn't say I worship the Kennedys or anything like that. I'm not um you know, I don't fawn over them or something. But I guess I've just always been fascinated by them. I've been fascinated by Princess Diana. There's a lot of different people I've been fascinated by. But there is something about the Kennedys and also they're not Kennedys, but I love Great Gardens. I love Big and Little Edie. And they're actually related to Jackie. You know, they're Bouviers. And Jackie married into the Kennedys. But all of it is sort of interconnected for me. And I've just always been fascinated by that family. I I don't know why. It's a weird thing about me. (laughs) So this film is really able to merge the historical and the factual and the archival. And to mix that with like emotion and feeling and, and all of that. And I think that's a fascinating thing about the film is that for so long I wanted to see it and my expectations of the film were that oh it's just gonna be your, your regular period drama about Jackie Kennedy. Like I wouldn't say I had huge hopes for it. Like I had huge expectations about it. I love Natalie Portman. Love Pablo Lorraine. I just I didn't have any idea what I was stepping into when I first watched it. I did not expect my emotional reaction to it. I just thought, oh, it's going to be pretty dresses and pretty interiors, and they're going to talk about the assassination or something. I didn't think it was going to be anything more than that, and of course, I walked away from it feeling like, oh my god, I've I've seen something so uh, masterful, and now there are other people who don't feel that way, and if I remember to, I'll talk about some of the critiques and all I can do in every episode is tell you why I like to film and sort of lay out my case, right? And talk about what worked for me and what didn't. Pretty much everything in this film worked for me, honestly. For other people, they didn't like Natalie Portman's accent. They didn't like the structure of the film. And I'll talk about some of those things later um, and why I didn't have any problem with them and why I think some of it's actually the strength of the film. So I did want to talk more about Jackie Kennedy, about her life after the assassination, and what the film gets right and and how um, real to life the film is in a lot of ways. I don't think a lot of people realize that Jackie Kennedy after the assassination was a complete wreck that she was deeply traumatized and that she was most likely suffering from PTSD. She was drinking. She had nightmares. She was constantly reliving the event itself. She was suicidal and she felt very guilty and she felt that she should have done more to save Jack, that she had not done enough. There is a great Vanity Fair article about her life in the days, weeks, months after Jack was killed. Everything that I talk about, um, I will give you all my sources in the show notes of the episode. I did extensive research reading interviews, articles, all kinds of stuff and all of that will be in the in the show notes. And even though the film the film really focuses on like four days after the assassination honestly, for the most part, but it gets a lot right about Jackie's state of mind. And we see a lot of this stuff throughout the film. This, the suicidal stuff and talking to the priest and questioning God and, and all of that. And I'll get into some of that in a little bit. I did want to talk about her state of mind a bit. She said things like, quote, I consider that my life is over, unquote. She wanted to die. She wanted to be with Jack. She even felt like she wasn't any use to her children. And I think there is a scene in the film where she talks about this. And she said, quote, I'm no good to them. I'm so bleeding inside, unquote. She didn't think she was a good mother. She didn't think she could raise them. And we see that in the film where she has to go and tell the children that Jack is dead. And she has to face the prospect of being a single mother, of raising these kids on her own. She never imagined that this would happen. I don't think people realize how suicidal she was. In this Vanity Fair article, they say that Jackie actually hoped that, that if she killed herself, that other people would kill themselves because it would be a good thing if people were allowed to, quote, get out of their misery Unquote. And Jackie is even quoted as talking about Marilyn Monroe. And it's well known that John F. Kennedy had an affair with Marilyn Monroe. Jackie is quoted as saying, quote, I was glad that Marilyn Monroe got out of her misery. If God is going to make such a to do about judging people because they take their own lives, then someone ought to punish him. Unquote. And it's only now, obviously, that people realize that she was suffering from PTSD. And the symptoms of PTSD include, quote, reliving the traumatic event, avoiding situations that threaten to provoke memories of the event, feeling numb and feeling keyed up, among other hallmarks are suicidal thoughts, nightmares and sleep disturbance, obsessive ruminations, and a significant spike in distress around the anniversary of the traumatic event, unquote. And Jackie had all of that and i've i have a lot of that honestly i in the years since my dad's death i've pretty much realized that i think i have ptsd because of it i haven't been diagnosed with it i i don't see a therapist or anything like that cuz i don't have health insurance and i can't afford to get any kind of help with my anxiety or depression but i do believe that i probably have ptsd from it because i have all the the symptoms of it honestly. It was just that traumatic for me. I, I consider it a trauma. I don't think everybody who loses someone considers that traumatic but for me it was and that's the way I would describe it and so I relate a lot to Jackie in this film but I just wanted to give you a sense of her life after she lost Jack because there is this image of Jackie that she was very strong and held it all together, and was just, uh that she was stoic, and, and all of these things, and in reality, it was very different, and she's quoted as saying, I am a living wound. I mean, she calls herself a living wound. This is how deep she was affected by what happened, and I think what this film does so well, besides capturing the reality of Jackie's Reaction to the assassination is looking at the private and the public you know what was happening behind closed doors and then how she was presenting herself in public or had to be in public in front of cameras or whoever and if you think about it because she's a celebrity right because she is a public figure everything that happened to her this whole assassination was incredibly public And everything about it was public. Even her grief. Even everything she did was public. Right? And one of the things is the way that she presented herself after the assassination with her suit. This pink Chanel suit that she wore that day. And there's blood all over it. Blood and gore. And she understands the symbolic power of that in public. And this is the thing that makes the film to me almost like a horror film is that suit and is that scene of his assassination. And she kept the blood on the suit. She didn't want to take it off. She didn't want to clean herself up because she wanted them to, quote, see what they've done. Some people may not understand why she said that. I was really fascinated to learn when I watched some of these Kennedy documentaries growing up, like with my dad, that going into Dallas, Texas was actually a pretty... I don't know if dangerous is the right thing to say, but it was hostile. Dallas was very hostile. Texas was hostile to John F. Kennedy. And there's this article on biography.com and it says, quote, right-wing opponents abhorred the fact that Kennedy was Catholic, disliked his proposal for Medicare and hated his support for integration. Approximately 5,000 copies of a flyer that stated Kennedy was wanted for treason were distributed around Dallas before his visit. Given this, much of the nation initially assumed that a far-right component must have been responsible for his assassination." So that's a little bit of background about that comment. I don't know if everybody understands that. That when he was going to Dallas, he was going into hostile territory. A place where his face was on a wanted poster. So when this first happened, people thought it was like the right wing. And I bet it was even more shocking when it turned out to be Oswald. Who's actually connected to communism and to, to stuff like that. So he's on the left wing. But when she wore that in public uh, so fiercely... She wanted to send a message. Look what you've done to my husband. They should have to look at what they've done. Little did she know it was just Lee Lee Harvey Oswald. And she talks about that in the film. Like it had to be a silly communist. Jack couldn't even die for civil rights. She, I think that's what she thought. That he was probably being killed because of his civil rights stance or something like that. Because as we know at that time, the South was very hostile to integration and to civil rights and and all of that. I'm from this area, so I um, I know. I know how it was. I know how it still is. So it's natural that they would have believed that, but that obviously was not the case. And she kept that pink suit on for a while. It wasn't until she got back to the White House after uh the casket was put in the East Room that she finally took it off. And interestingly enough, all of the all of what she was wearing the blouse the suit the stockings according to biography.com quote jackie's suit blouse stockings and shoes all still stained with blood were sent to the national archives her outfit has been stored there ever since unquote caroline kennedy made it so that those items cannot be shown in public for a hundred years if we ever see that suit it would not be until Year 2103, that those would publicly be displayed. For now, they are being stored. I thought that was really interesting. So, here is a woman who understands the public. She understands that public image of wearing the suit. And she does the same thing when she's planning the funeral. She was very knowledgeable about history, about Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. And she just knew so much. Natalie Portman and Pablo Lorraine talk about this continuously in interviews. That people don't realize how smart she was, how knowledgeable she was about the world and about history, how well read she was. She knew multiple languages. and she, But she's also very savvy about image and about a public image. And you see that with the funeral, where she wants to model it after Abraham Lincoln's funeral. And she wants there to be a procession and and things like that. And I thought it was interesting with the funeral how Lorraine used real archival footage. And there's actually a part of it where you see the real Jackie, Bobby, and Ted Kennedy was there as well. And he doesn't even try to hide that. Now, a lot of the archival footage, you'll just see them from behind. But there is a scene in the film where you see them from the front. And you can tell it's Jackie Kennedy. It's the real people. I thought that was fascinating. And it reminded me of a French film by Mathieu Amalric, And it's called Barbara. It just came out recently, I think in 2018. And it's about the French singer named Barbara, who I really love. And I love uh, Mathieu Amalric. And he did something similar where he included archival footage of Barbara in the film. But then it's also a narrative film. It's a fiction film that stars uh, Jeanne Balibar playing Barbara. So you see Jeanne playing Barbara. And then you see this real footage of Barbara in the film. And they look so similar at times that you can't tell which is which. It's really fascinating. I really love that film, actually. It blew me away when I saw it. And so I think the archival footage is, it's important for recreating that time period, but I also think it's kind of a reminder to us that film is an artificial thing. It's not real. You know, here are the real people. Here's Jackie. Natalie is not Jackie, she's only um, approximating Jackie or pretending to be Jackie but of course we still suspend our disbelief right but that archival footage just sort of shocks shocks you like oh there's the real people she just understands uh, how to create this public image and she understands the symbolism of what she wears and how she acts and what she says and you see that with the black veil in the funeral. It's over her face and it you can't even see her hardly. It's a very emotionally powerful moment in the film. And there's this fascinating shot that shows her from below. And you see the black veil whipping in the wind. And you can it's fluttering in the wind and you catch these glimpses of her face. And uh, I, th- I thought that was a really stunning scene. And another aspect of the public that Jackie was so good at was shaping the narrative and constructing the mythology of Camelot. That's why the Kennedys, I think, are so revered in this country, is that people look back on Jackie and JFK and their two children, and there's this idea of like Eden, of innocence lost, of this time before his assassination, and he was going to do so much, and things were going to get better, and it was this time of hope. Jackie was instrumental in constructing that mythology of Camelot um, shortly after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. She talked to a reporter named Theodore H. White for Life magazine. She talks about Camelot, and you see that in the film. Now, Billy Crudup is, from what I uh, read, he's sort of um, a composite of a lot of different journalists, They don't have him playing Theodore White necessarily, but that's the interview where she first brings up Camelot. And she says, quote, At night before we'd go to bed, Jack played, Jack liked to play some records. And the song he loved most came at the very end of this record. The lines he loved to hear were, Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot For one brief shining moment that was known as Camelot. There will be great presidents again but there'll never be another Camelot again, unquote. And that enters the public imagination that Camelot once existed, that the Kennedys were Camelot. And she understands the power of that. She says in the film, quote, people like to believe in fairy tales, unquote. I think she knew exactly what she was doing by telling that story. Did she believe in Camelot? I don't know. Maybe not. But she knew, I think, that other people needed it, that Jack's senseless death had really shaken people and their faith in the world, and maybe she wanted to restore that in some way with this Camelot mythology. She really has to become an advocate for Jack, and she has to take over the preservation of his legacy. Like getting him buried at Arlington National Cemetery. She's very insistent about that. But I also like how the film, even though it's... The film's interesting because it's showing the construction of the Camelot mythology. But then I also think it's subverting it. Because it's showing that it wasn't Camelot, really. In some ways. Because there's this scene where Jackie is talking to Bobby after the assassination. And they're in the Lincoln bedroom. And Bobby's really upset because he feels like they didn't get to accomplish anything. That the legacy was wasted. That John, that Jack is not going to be remembered well. He says something like, they're just seen as beautiful people. And he wonders, what did they really do? And what will Jack be remembered for? So in that scene, we kind of have that critique of that mythology of what did they really do? What did they really accomplish? Are, are they just remembered as beautiful people? Well, they didn't get a lot of time to do a lot of stuff. I'm not a Kennedy expert. I'm not sure how, how JFK is perceived as a president necessarily. But, um, but I like that the film doesn't fawn over the Kennedys. It's not overly worshipful of them either, and Natalie Portman talked about that in interviews. She liked that too. I think if you had had an American director, that you may have had that. You may have gotten the sentimentality or the Camelot thing, whereas I think this film is more interested in how is that narrative created, what is the function of that narrative, and at times, it's even maybe questioning if that narrative's actually true, right? With the fairy tale comment, was she constructing a fairy tale for the American people? Maybe she was. So this film does a great job of unpacking the public image and The public things that Jackie did after the assassination. The blood on her suit. What she wore. The public statements that she made. The things she said in interviews. The way she created this mythology around Jack. The way she was trying to carry on his legacy. Right in the the few days after he had died. She was that smart. She was that savvy. And she knew that she had to get ahead of it. She had to start writing history. She had, to, she had to start creating this narrative. Because nobody else was going to do it. But then to balance that public stuff. The film also shows her private life. It shows the private face of Jackie Kennedy. Not just what she showed to the world. But who she was when nobody else was around. Or when she was alone. Or when she was with people she trusted. It shows her loneliness. The suicidal thoughts the difficulty sleeping, the drinking, the unraveling, right? So I think what's really important about this film is that it's challenging our perception of Jackie Kennedy. There is this view of her, and it remains, it persists to this day, that she was perfect, that she was demure, superficial, shallow, um, that she was I mean, what do people talk about with her? They talk about her beauty, they talk about her poise, and they talk about her fashion. That's all they talk about with Jackie Kennedy. You'd never know that she knew four languages. You'd never know that she was educated so much about history and the world. You wouldn't know any of those things. And you certainly wouldn't know about her emotional fragility after Jack's death. Because everybody just wants to talk about the clothes that she wore. I think Pablo Lorraine says it perfectly in an interview he did with Town and Country. Where he said, quote, People think they know a lot about her. But after doing my research for this movie, I've concluded she's the most unknown, well-known person ever. Unquote. And he says that what really changed his perception of Jackie was when he went on YouTube and he saw the White House tour that she gave in 1961 and she had done a lot of uh, things to the White House at the time. She had gone around and she had bought furniture that was connected to the history of the White House. She had actually been criticized for it. They claimed that she was using taxpayer money when she wasn't. She thought it was important for American history to be preserved and to be on display in the White House. And so she did this television show where she showed what she was doing and she talked about it. And and she was really, I guess, explaining why she had done this and what she had done. And Pablo Lorraine was just fascinated by this this White House tour. And it really changed his perception of her. He said uh, to film comment, he said, quote, I had this idea about this superficial woman who was mainly concerned with fabrics and fashion. But in this show, I found the woman who captured my imagination. I was so moved by the way she would express herself, try to smile. I found out that she wrote the script, that everything she said was her own words, And so I love that. He sees her in a different light. And I think because of that, in the film, we see her in a different light. And I like that the film actually includes the White House tour pretty early on I think Pablo does this purposefully I think he's giving us Jackie as we've always known her chic well-spoken beautiful poised and he gives us that image right of this White House tour he even shows the um, he even tries to recreate the original footage he has it in black and white whereas the rest of the film is in color. It's almost like this way of saying, this is this image you have of Jackie in black and white, but here she really is in color. I think it's um, purposeful that he starts the film that way or has it very early on, because over the course of the film, he's really deconstructing that image. He's showing another side of her, one that's messier, more unstable, even shattered. I think he's really exploding uh, our perception of her, and he's saying there's more here, and there's this great YouTube video it'll be in the show notes where where someone put the that scene from the film alongside the actual White House tour from nineteen sixty one and you see how perfectly and brilliantly they recreated it, and how well Natalie recreated Jackie's accent and her intonation and all of that. It was fascinating to watch it and to see it side by side and to see how meticulous the historical detail was in this film. And I think the White House tour also sets up a contrast between who she was in that video. We get a very particular image of her in it. And then that's contrasted with how she is in private. How she is with the journalist, the Billy Crudup character. You see how she constructed this very public image. And how in private she was actually looser and more relaxed and more honest and open. Obviously all things that she could not be in that special, right? So Pablo Lorraine chose the public side of Jackie. And then he shows the private side of her and the really private side of her is her grief. And so I'd like to linger for a little bit on the way the film looks at grief and trauma. Specifically looks at Jackie's grief and trauma and what she went through. I think that what she uh, suffered was unimaginable and it was completely unique what she went through. Not many women have been present at the assassination of their husbands. It was so public so horrific it's incomprehensible what she really lived through and I think what's so powerful about this film is that it centers her mourning and that's often overlooked and we see the effect of the assassination on her and it focuses totally on her point of view From the moment she's in the car, from when she's back in her room taking a shower. It focuses on all the different details of her life leading up to the assassination and then in the days after it. And I feel like Jackie's mourning and her grief is often overlooked. There is this obsession with who killed John F. Kennedy. And there's an interest in the pomp and circumstance of the funeral. But I don't think I've ever seen any documentary that talked about the intimate details of her grief. So this film centers a woman's heartache and her breakdown. As I said earlier, this film really challenges all the representations of Jackie up to this point. I almost feel like there can't be any film about Jackie after this film. Like This feels like the definitive movie about her and Natalie Portman's performance and portrayal cannot be matched. Because I do feel like in other portraits of Jackie, she is seen in a very shallow way. As just something to look at. She's an object in a lot of the representations. She's pretty. She's his demure, silent wife. (laughs) Right? And I love how this film makes her a subject. It makes her a real person. It gives her all the, the focus and the detail and... You get to know so much about her in the film. In so many representations, she's demure and faithful and dutiful. But in this film, she is ferocious. She's a mess. She's angry. She's grieving. She's drinking. She has PTSD and nightmares. She's suicidal. She's mad at God. And she says it. She says what she thinks about God. And we just don't see grief represented in this way very often, especially when it's a woman. I don't think we get to see women like this too often. And I find it comforting (laughs) because I myself am a mess most of the time. We don't often see the private pain of grief. Rather, we get this sort of strong exterior public image that people put on. It's rare that we see past that mask. And people are expected to be strong. And they're expected to to move on and get over it and and keep going. And, oh, you have kids. And she wants to die. And she says that she wants to die. And she doesn't hide that she wants to die. She openly speaks about it and says it and I think it makes you respect her even more. She wasn't, I don't even know what I think about the word strong. It's not that she wasn't strong but in private she was not, she wasn't just like, oh yeah everything's okay, I'm fine. She was hurting. She was mad. She was drinking. She was suicidal. Like, She was going through very real darkness and suffering and pain. And this film honors that. It honors her by giving us a fuller, richer, more complex view of what a woman goes through after she loses somebody. Especially in this way. Losing a husband. Losing a husband to assassination in public. Holding his brains in her hands. Trying to put his brains back into his head. This is what Jackie Kennedy lived through. She was more than just this beautiful, you know, mannequin or something. She was more than just the clothes that she wore. She was a real person who went through this and then had to raise two kids, had to keep living, had to keep going, and she did. But that doesn't mean that she wasn't hurting and that she wasn't grieving and that she wasn't going out of her mind at times. So it actually gives me more understanding for what she went through and more respect for her that, oh my God, here's this woman that went through all this. She even had to move out of the White House. She didn't even have a home. She had to to move out pretty quickly. Her whole life changed in an instant. And it's so rare in our lives for there to be a moment or an experience that hacks our life in half. And there is the blazing before and then there's the terrifying after and this film shows all that and not only did she go through this horrific thing she went through it in public it was uniquely public it was televised it was filmed and she had to relive it over and over again through the press through interviews and through her having to maintain john f kennedy's legacy where she had to talk to journalists about it because that's what people are obsessed with and what a lot of people don't know is that just a few months before John F. Kennedy's assassination, she had lost a child. She had a son named Patrick, and he was born stillborn. Her, her pain is even greater that she's lost a child. Even before that, uh, several years before that, she'd had another child who died named Arabella. So this is a woman who had intimate knowledge of loss and grief. She questions God several times in the film, and we know that that was a private struggle for her. She doesn't understand why God would take Jack away from his children. She doesn't understand why it happened. She doesn't feel that she's done anything to deserve it. And the priest, played by John Hurt, he says basically to her that she's been chosen so that the works of God can be revealed. And I find that so incredibly offensive. Those who suffer are supposed to believe that they've been chosen, that they should somehow be grateful for their suffering because something is being shown or revealed through them. What do you even say to that? How do you even, you know, when I see suffering and pain, my reaction is not, oh, well, you should feel really grateful for that. When I see suffering, I want to change it, I want to stop it, I want to take it away. And I think that's what makes it harder and harder to live in the world as you get older is that I think when you're young, when you're a teenager, you think, oh, I'm going to change the world or you think the world's going to change as you get older. And then you get older and the world hasn't changed. And in a lot of ways, it's gotten worse and there's more suffering and there's more pain and you can't stop any of it. You have no control over it. That's hard to to deal with. So I'll never accept that kind of argument. I will never accept that it was meant to be for my father to die. That it was meant to be for me to suffer the things that I've suffered. I refuse to believe that. It's fine if that gives you meaning in your life. We're all different. I'm sure I have people who listen to the podcast who are religious. I'm not. I have respect for people who are religious In my own life, I just can't follow that. I can't accept that, that suffering has any kind of point, any kind of reason. And I certainly don't think Jackie's suffering had any reason. Something I was struck by in the depiction of grief in this film was the total loneliness of Jackie. That she's so alone in what she's going through. Because literally nobody can understand or relate to what she's just experienced. And there's such a sense of absence in the film as well. And I thought of a poem that I really love. It's by W.S. Merwin. And it's called Separation. And it's very short. It's only three lines. And it goes like this. Your absence has gone through me. Like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. And I think I felt the absence of John F. Kennedy like a thread through this film. That it is woven into the film, his absence. You know, I think of the different shots of her in the bedrooms and in the White House. The shot of her lying in bed, uh, the cigarette in her mouth. She is so alone in that bed. I don't know if her and JFK shared a bed, but I thought maybe they could have. So she's in the bed that she may have shared with Jack. She's walking through these vast rooms where their life took place together. And now there's just absence. There's nothing. There's just her. And I'm sort of forever haunted by her at night walking through the empty rooms alone. She's wearing her gown and a robe. And there's just something so haunting about it to me. I guess I see a lot of myself in Jackie personally. And then there's that night where she puts on the Camelot song and she's trying on dresses and she's trying on her jewelry. To me, it felt like a way to try to recapture the past. She even sits at his desk in the Oval Office. And we don't know if, I I don't know if we know if these things really happened, but it's just this imagining that maybe she could have done that, that she could have walked around uh, the White House in that way. And I think it's just a reminder that we are always alone in our grief. And I still feel it every day. I still feel that loneliness. I feel the way the grief separated me from other people. It's interesting. There's not just the separation from the person that you lose. That, you know, Merwin is talking about in that poem. That absence and that separation from someone that you loved. The process of going through that, of losing them, of grieving them, it actually ends up separating you from other people. Even separating you from yourself. I think you become a different person. I really do. But even though you see that grief and you see that loneliness and you see everything she went through, you still, I still think she was strong. I do think she had a strength. Like how did she even get out of bed? How did she even do it? And maybe it makes you think about your own life. Like, God, look what she went through. And I think Pablo Lorraine talked about that in an interview. He talked about he was just in awe of it. Of like, look what she went through. It's unimaginable. It's, you can't even put yourself in her position. And she kept going. She kept living. So I actually think knowing those things about her, everything that she really went through, She didn't like numb herself. She wasn't numb. She actually felt things. She actually was grieving. She did not numb herself to her own emotions. She actually felt them. And she still got up every day. And it's astounding. Truly. It makes me think of a Tori Amos song. Now, I love any excuse to talk about Tori Amos on this podcast because she is my everything, she is a goddess and I love Tori Amos. I would not be the person that I am without Tori Amos's music, and she has this great song called Jackie's Strength. I want to read some of the lyrics. I can't play the song. I don't want to get in trouble, but it's, she sings, quote, a Bouvier till her wedding day. Shots rang out. The police came. Mama laid me on the front lawn and prayed for Jackie's strength. Feeling old by 21. Never thought my day would come. My bridesmaids getting laid. I pray for Jackie's strength. And then she sings about some other stuff. And then later on, she says, quote, if you love enough, you'll lie a lot. Guess they did in Camelot. Mama's waiting on my front lawn. I pray. I pray. I said I pray for Jackie's strength. It's a beautiful song. It's a gorgeous video. It's Really, one of Tori's finest songs, I think, and and one of her best videos. She's talking about that strength that Jackie had and how she's praying to have that in her own life. Jackie didn't have it easy. I think people look at her and think, oh, she was beautiful, she had money, this. And yeah, you know, she did. It doesn't mean that she didn't feel. It doesn't mean that she didn't suffer. It doesn't mean... Is my life very different from Jackie Kennedy's? Yeah. She had resources. She had different forms of support. All of that were very... We're like worlds apart, really. But she still went through something incredibly horrific. She somehow came out the other side of it. Now I want to talk specifically about that horror that she lived through. How she had to relive it over and over again that was a big part of it and the scene of the assassination itself so when she's talking to Billy Crudup she says at one point that everybody wants the gory details that that's what they really want and don't we I mean isn't that partly why we are watching this film it's because we want to know those gory details And it made me think about how, you know, when she's talking to the journalist and all of that, how she has to relive it for every interview because really her life is not her own. It doesn't belong to just her, but to us. And that sometimes that's what it means to be famous and important, is that you have to share your life with the world, just like Jackie did. We don't actually see the scene of the shooting until the end of the film. But at the beginning... It's interesting because at the beginning, we do have this scene where Jackie tells it in words. So we so we live it through her, her words, but we don't see it on the screen until near the end of the film. Pablo Lorraine withholds it from us, and I think he does it on purpose. So first, when it comes to the assassination, we just listen to her talking about it, and I, I think she's talking to the journalist, obviously, and she cries she's talking about Jack's beautiful head and mouth and the blood. So first, Pablo Lorraine makes us imagine it and think about her experience of it. Her her really seeing all that. Her holding his brains in her hands. Her being covered in that blood. We have to try to imagine it. And of course, we can't. We can't. We get a taste of it, though, when The journalist asks her what the bullet sounded like and we hear this bang and then we're behind the car. We're behind the motorcade just after the shot's been fired and the camera is in motion. This is the part of the film that I think about the most when I think about the film is this scene of the camera in motion, us in motion behind the car. It's very intense and it's very frightening we're behind the car and then he zooms into the car and we see JFK slumped over we see the blood we see the blood on Jackie it's just the screen is full of the horror of it and then it cuts cuts very abruptly to Jackie wiping the blood off her face and she is just sobbing this scene is incredibly intense and you you feel the trauma of it immediately and she has to she has to clean up a little bit because she has to stand beside Lyndon B. Johnson, who was the vice president and who's now going to be sworn in as president. I was moved by the fact that she's wiping away this blood and then she starts to touch up her hair. I mean, this woman's covered in blood. It's all over her. And yet she's trying to make her hair look good. I mean, there was something really heartbreaking about it. And then we see her sitting beside JFK's casket on the plane. I mean, within a matter of, what, an hour maybe? She's gone from having her husband alive and beside her, speaking to him, to him now being inside this coffin that she sits beside. It's jarring. And that scene really hit me because I remember my own shock after my father's death and I remember at his funeral sitting right next to his coffin right at the funeral I still remember that it was silver and it was right in front of me I remember how at that moment nothing made sense nothing could ever make sense again and I do think that Jackie shows that trauma I think the film shows that so powerfully And I think the film partly does it through these jarring moments of showing Jackie with the blood on her. You know, as I said earlier, she chose to keep the Chanel suit on. She was not going to change. She wanted, she was literally like wearing a symbol, right? She became a symbol of this death and destruction and what they had done to her husband. At that moment, She felt like the people who had done this were out there and maybe they could see her. They could see her on television or whatever and she knew the photos would be seen forever. It would go down in history, right? And she wants to send a statement through all of this. And there's this scene where she's sitting on this couch with other women. I think they're at the hospital and she's on this couch. It pans out and you see the blood on her legs. Her legs are streaked with blood. Everybody else around her is pristine. They have nothing on them. And then here she is covered in blood. And when she finally goes back to the White House, she's walking through these pristine white and cream colored interiors with her red blood splattered pink Chanel suit on. It's just so shocking the juxtaposition of her body, her bloody body in those rooms, in those stark white, feminine, beautiful rooms. It's just this juxtaposition of beauty and horror that I'm not sure that I've ever seen in another film. But you know, I think life is like that. It's like when I was talking about earlier how the day my dad died, it was a bright blue bright blue sky above me. It was so sunny and so beautiful. Such a beautiful spring day. You just couldn't imagine something so horrific happening on that day. So I think often our life is about that jarring juxtaposition of beauty and horror. I think that is part of life and it's something that I've never been able to get used to or to to cope with personally. And we finally see her undress and take that suit off. Even her hose are stained with blood and as i was watching this scene it occurred to me for the first time for some reason that her life was in danger too in that motorcade she could easily have been shot like easily she could have died oswald could have said i'm gonna kill her too or her head could have hit the bullet accidentally or something they both could have been taken out and i doubt that was lost on her so this is a woman not only grieving the death of her husband, but confronting her own mortality. That, oh my god, my husband died. I could have died too. My life could have ended too. And that's terrifying. And there's that haunting scene where she's in the shower and the blood is just running down her back. I can't get over that. So I said at the beginning that she, she talks about the assassination and we only hear it in her words. But near the end of the film... We actually see the assassination itself and it's recreated. This is the thing that Lorraine has withheld all this time from us. The thing that I think a lot of people wanted. People are fascinated by it. And she's telling at the time she's talking to the priest after the fact, after it's happened. And she's telling the priest that she she tells people that she can't remember. But she says that in fact she can remember everything. And this goes back to the fact that she was reliving it in her mind constantly. The guilt that she felt uh, that Vanity Fair wrote about. That she felt responsible for his death. She felt like she didn't do enough. She remembers every detail of it. And I bet it played in her mind over and over and over again. And so whereas at the in that earlier scene we had cut away from the car. And it had cut to her cleaning her face off. Now it stays now it stays on her we see her in the back of the car she's smiling on the parade route and then there's that first bullet and then that second bullet that explodes his head and the film shows it the film goes there and if you look at some of the home movies that were made they show it too i still remember watching a documentary about the assassination with my dad and it was the first documentary that had ever actually shown the bullet hitting his head and exploding And I was not prepared for it. I mean, I still remember seeing it. It was that absolutely shocking to me. It's still shocking to me. I can't watch it. I had no idea that I was going to watch somebody's head explode. And that's what happened. And the film shows that. It doesn't shy away from it. So it is very graphic in that way. But maybe it has to be. It does have to be. Because this is what Jackie lived through. This is what Jackie saw. And you can't sanitize it. Because you do a disservice to, to what traumatized her. So his head explodes. And she talks about how she should have known that the first sound was a gunshot. And she feels like she should have shielded him. And so this scene's interesting because it's actually alternating between three scenes. Her with the priest talking about it. And then her his funeral. And then her in the car with his dying body on her lap. So all three of these scenes are interwoven. And this is part of the, the way the film is structured. That often in the film, multiple things are happening at once. That she's speaking and then we're going in the past and seeing things. There's a lot of flashbacks in the film. I guess the film's trying to mimic her memories in a way. She talks about how ever since his death, she's prayed to die. And she says, quote, Oh God, let me be with my husband, unquote. It overwhelms you, I think, when you see it, when you hear this woman so desperately wanting to be with her husband again, to be with the person that she's lost because she doesn't know what to do. And you feel the momentum of memory, I think, in this scene, the way that she's dragged back into that memory of that moment, of that experience, that that's what she can't get out of. Just like I can't get out of that room where I was told that my father was dead. And my mom let out this scream that I'll never forget. And I was just numb in that moment. I didn't do anything. I don't remember doing anything. My body just went limp, really. It just was like I didn't have any bones in my body. I, I felt liquefied almost. Nothing felt real. I didn't feel real. I I still feel like I touched something that is forever unspeakable in that moment of hearing that. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. To hear those words come out of somebody's mouth and to feel the reality of it, the weight of it, that this person that you've known and loved is gone. They're not going to wake up. It's over. Even as I think about it now and relive it, I just can't. I can't go there. Part of me can't go there again. And yet I'm always there in that. I am forever scarred and wounded by that moment in that room that I can't leave and that I'm forever trapped in. And I think Jackie, for a while, was trapped in that car and she could not get out. And the memories come at her at the speed of, of that car as it raced down to get Jack to the hospital. Those memories crash into her like that bullet that went into his body. The violence of it, the violence of that moment, and also the violence of the aftermath. That's what you feel with this film. And I did want to linger on Natalie's performance. I mean what I mean to me that scene is is one of the central things of the film. What do you what do you say what do you do? And and Natalie said in an interview that that was the hardest scene. Was the assassination scene because it shows her also screaming. She's in the she's in the car and she's just screaming. I don't know if it does a close up on her. I think it it does or it shows her face and she's her face is just covered in blood and she's screaming. It is a horror film. Like <laughs> to me it's a horror film. Because my mind can't even go there. Of having someone you love. And their brains being all over you. And I just can't even. I can't even go to that place. I don't think any of us can. But as an actress Natalie had to. And that's what actors do. They go to these emotional places. They're trying to recreate this particular reality. I think Natalie did An exceptional job at it. She did extensive research, watching videos of Jackie, reading books about her, listening to audio interviews, everything. That's what she told Vanity Fair. She did work with the dialect coach to get Jackie's accent, and she talked a lot about it in interviews, how uh, Jackie's accent is kind of strange, that she has the the mid-Atlantic thing, or like sort of this New York accent, With sort of a Long Island thing in there too. But then she also went to finishing school. And some of her words are kind of British a little bit. I have seen online some criticisms of Portman's performance. People talk about the accent in particular. That they thought that she overdid it. That it was too much. I just simply don't agree. She talked the way Jackie talked. Uh, Jackie spoke in a particular way in interviews. I listened to a little bit of audio of her and stuff. She was from that area and she did have that accent. It would be like doing a film about somebody from the South and not having a Southern accent. I think if she had not done the accent, people would be like, oh, but that's not how Jackie talks. If Natalie had just spoken in her normal everyday accent, I think people would say, oh, you're not being true to the character. So I kind of think it's a no-win situation that, oh, if you try to do this accent, it might sound fake, but then if you don't do the accent, you're not being true to the character. I had no problem with it. I think that she does it very naturally. She did say, I think in an interview, that Pablo told her to dial it back a bit, that she had maybe uh, done even more with the accent, and he told her to, to... Dial it down a bit. So that's sort of interesting to note, I think. And also in the film, she smokes a lot. In reality, she was smoking real cigarettes. I know that sometimes they'll use herbal cigarettes or something, but she said that it's hard to make those cigarettes look realistic. So she was actually smoking real cigarettes in the film. I I did a lot of research on Natalie because I was um, hoping to learn more about her preparation. And she really, she said a lot of the same stuff. You know, she talked about the accent in interviews. She talked about reading books. But she really didn't give a lot of like nitty-gritty details about how she inhabited this woman. And maybe, maybe acting in some ways is like mysterious That she does all this preparation. And then when she's in front of the camera, something else happens. I did read that um, she had a really good relationship with the cinematographer. And uh, they sort of understood each other and got each other. I I was hoping to learn a bit more or get some different insights. But again, I think Natalie is a bit mysterious in that way. That she projects so much on screen. But you don't know what she's thinking. You don't know anything about her, really. And I didn't get a lot of tidbits. I mean, her performance is just stunning, I thought. Where I felt like she really inhabited this character. I mean, something like Marion Cotillard's performance in La Vie en Rose comes to mind. It's very rare to find an actress in a performance where she so deeply inhabits the character. And inhabits this real person who once lived the way that, you know, Edith Piaf did, um, and Marion Cotillard played her in that film La Vie en Rose, and this is a performance that comes kind of close to that one, although that one to me is so extraordinary, the way that she played Edith Piaf, and you just wonder how they do it, like, how do they do it? How do they bring this person to life? Like, you don't know. It's still very mysterious, I think. And another criticism of the film is the structure. A lot of people didn't like the way it was sort of non-linear. It it wasn't chronological. It didn't follow anything like that. Some people I read called it like a mess. Like the script was a mess. I completely disagree with that criticism. And I'll tell you why. Yes, it's non-linear. And I don't know the perfect language to talk about this. But for me... I noticed there were bridges and connections between the scenes. So the editing to me feels really intuitive and natural rather than chaotic or messy. The scenes are connected to each other. Even though they're going back in time, they're going to different um, periods a lot. Like it's the assassination and then they're cutting to her wiping the blood off her face and just different things happen throughout the film very non-linear but it never um, distracted me at all. It all felt really natural and intuitive and I'll give you some examples. So the film cuts back and forth a lot. For instance the White House tour scene. They go from the White House tour back to her doing the interview with the journalist and then from the tour to another time in the past when there was a concert in the room that Jackie is showing in the tour. So in the White House tour, she's in this room. It's like this really large room and she's showing it on on the, the TV show. Well, the next scene shows a party happening in that room. So that's the connection between those two scenes. Yeah, it's non-linear. It doesn't I guess it doesn't make sense, quote unquote. But to me, it made perfect sense. Well, she's standing in this room and then they're showing a party that was in the room. So that's the connection between the scenes. That's what I mean when it feels intuitive, that there are connections. And then there's this uh, scene where Jackie's talking about Lincoln's widow and how she died destitute. And then it cuts back to the White House tour video. Jackie's talking about what the White House did to Lincoln. And they show a picture of Lincoln from 1961, where he looks young and has a lot of vigor. And then a picture of him from 1965, right before his death, where he looks like he's aged decades. And then we see her in the Lincoln bedroom talking about the furniture. So the thing that's connecting all those disparate scenes that are back and forth in time is Lincoln, is the connection between Lincoln, that one minute she's talking about Lincoln's widow, and then in the White House tour, she's talking about uh, what happened to Lincoln and the way he aged, and then she's talking about the Lincoln bedroom. So those scenes, they seem disparate, but they're connected in that way. And then another example I'll give you is that she's talking to the journalist, and she's talking about how uh John F. Kennedy loved the musical Camelot. She quotes from it, and this is what constructs the Camelot myth about the Kennedys. Well, then it cuts to a moment from the past when Jack is alive, and they're at a party at the White House. Everyone's dressed up. She's in this beautiful red dress. Bobby's there. All of them are there. They're dancing, and they're smiling, and they're having fun and enjoying life. That is the before. That is the Camelot. You know, a lot of this film is about the after, but at times the before intrudes before his death, before his assassination. So that's the way the the editing seemed to have been done, was that there's bridges and connections between each scene. And it felt really natural to me. It didn't feel messy at all. Like here she is talking about Camelot. Well, and then here's a scene of them living it where they are Camelot. They're singing and dancing and there's all kinds of examples riddled throughout the film that ties and connects and stitches the scenes together. There are different threads throughout it um, that connect those scenes. And I just personally loved it. I loved the editing. And it felt, it just created a lot of emotions because it's really beautiful. That's what's beautiful about film is editing. A lot of directors, a lot of auteurs especially will tell you their favorite thing is editing. They love it because that's where you create meaning. That's where you create the story. That's where you create the film. You That cut. Like her talking about Camelot. He easily could have cut to something else. Or he could have continued the conversation she was having with the journalist. But by cutting to that scene. It makes her words about Camelot even more poignant and powerful. That here is them living in the before. Here is their life perfect and beautiful and innocent. Before his his assassination. And that was an editing decision that created an emotion, that created a feeling. That's, that's just the way I see it. And finally, I just want to comment on the look of the film. It was not done on digital or video. It was actually made with film and it was made with a Super 16. You can see the texture and the grain in that. And there's a great interview with the cinematographer uh, Stefan Fontaine. And he talks about the use of Super 16 film. He talks about how it was Pablo the Range Choice. And it was connected to the fact that they were going to have a lot of archival footage. And I guess that 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 archival footage was done in a similar film. In 16 millimeter reversal, he says, and 13 millimeter negative. I don't know what any of that means. I don't know a lot about the technical aspect of film at all. (laughs) But I did notice the texture and the grain of the film. That it is made on film. And you can feel that, absolutely. And it was done for a reason, because of them including a lot of the archival footage. But also, just because Pablo Lorraine really believes in film. And he said something quite profound to American cinematographer. He said, quote, we have to protect film. Not just for aesthetic reasons, but also for political reasons. Some say film looks so vintage and old style, but films are not Instagram. We're not filtering our life. We're trying to find texture and something that is alive and breathing because that's what we need." And so the use of Super 16 absolutely gives it that texture and grain. Absolutely. And it makes that archival footage more seamless. It just gives such a life to the film. I can't explain it. But when I was watching it, even though I don't know the technical stuff about film, and even though at the time I was watching it uh, the first time, I had no idea it was made on physical film and not with digital. I didn't know that. But I saw something in the texture of the film that I just loved. And then for me to learn that, it was confirmed. It was like, oh, he was using physical film. Okay. And you can tell a difference. And it worked perfectly. There were a lot of close-ups used in the film. There's a whole lot of close-ups on Natalie Portman. And I think those are integral to conveying her emotional state. Her emotional turmoil. A lot of uh, the film was shot in handheld cameras. With handheld cameras. And that uh, created, obviously, a sense of intimacy in that way. I did want to comment on the soundtrack. I know I haven't mentioned it. There's so much in this film that I want to talk about. (laughs) There's never enough time. The soundtrack is very unusual and strange, but in a good way. It's by Micah Levy. She also did the soundtrack for Jonathan Glazer's film Under the Skin. That's also a very unique soundtrack, I would say. And a unique film. And Jonathan Glazer also has one of my favorite films called Birth, and that's about a woman grieving, going through grief, a widow who lost her husband. And it's one of my favorite films. I have an episode about it, and I did feel some echoes with Birth a little bit because they both look at a woman and her grief and her unraveling over grief. But Micah Levy's soundtrack there's no way to explain this music. I think with a period drama, you would expect something like, oh, piano music, or an orchestra, or, you know, really uh, light and dainty music, and instead we get this really interesting, fascinating soundtrack. The film begins with it, and it's like, to me, a lot of these the sounds that Micah ended up creating, it's like the sound of your heart dropping. That's what it sounded like to me. its It was incredibly unnerving. Everything about this film was incredibly personal and powerful for me. I hope I did it justice. It's hard. It's like I was trying to, I want to bring in the history that it's engaging with. So it's something that's very political in a way and historical, but then it's merging it with something very private and personal and intimate. And it's, it has a beautiful balance between the two of those things, between this historic tragedy of this assassination and then Jackie's own personal intimate grief and her reaction to it. And you feel that emotion and you feel for her and you connect to her. And to me, it's one of the most powerful films I've ever seen about trauma and about a woman trying to come to grips with a traumatic experience of what she has seen, the horrific thing that she has witnessed right in front of her eyes and that she has to continuously relive over and over again and somehow she found she found a way through it even though she was suicidal and drinking and traumatized and having nightmares and felt guilty because she didn't save him or prevent his death she was able to go on living and to raise her kids and to get remarried and but then of course more tragedy came when bobby got killed a few years later so she she went through a lot. She lived through a very tumultuous time in our nation's history. And I think for far too long, no one has asked, well, how did this affect Jackie? What did Jackie go through? What did this woman experience? How did she react? And instead of making her into something perfect, and instead of representing her as strong as steel and stoic and numb or something, what this film gives us is a messy, unraveling, grieving angry ferocious woman you know a woman smoking cigarettes in bed a woman drinking a woman talking shit against god (laughs) you know a woman who's mad a woman who wants to kill herself a woman who is in so much pain she doesn't think she can keep living and to me she is human in this film that is the point is that instead of making her into something perfect or, or recreating this ridiculous image of her as demure and, and dutiful and and uh, poised. She's a little bit out of control in this film. She talks back to people. She stands up for the legacy of her husband. She fights for the funeral that she wants him to have. She gets him put in Arlington. She deals with the Secret Service she deals with all these men that she's surrounded by and she doesn't have a lot of support from and she is fierce in those moments when she needs to be fierce and then she is sad and scared and in pain too there's so much in there and it mirrors you know the complexity and the messiness of life itself and of grief And I'm glad to have this representation. I'm glad we have it because it shows people. I just think so often with grief, it's like, just move on. You should be okay. Why are you crying? Go back to work. You know, you're just supposed to be okay. It's not supposed to affect you, I guess. Um, You should move on. You should get through it. And I appreciate when I get a representation of grief that says, no, I am broken. I am shattered. I want to die. Life is unbearable. I can't go on. How am I going to do this? You know, someone who's scared, who's frightened, who is coming undone in in many ways and doesn't know what to do. And I see that in Jackie. And I, that's what I have inside of me. Even 13 years later, I still feel that sense of fear and that loss of control and how my life was just completely blown apart by this by that one moment in time that I can't get out of, that I can't leave behind, that I can't escape and that I can't forget. But all I can do is try to find a way to bear it and to carry it. And some days I can do it. And then some days I can't. And I see that with Jackie too, that she she has her moments, she has her days where she can get through it. And then she has her moments when she can't. And I think what matters is to see the totality of her And to see the complexity of the grief and the complexity of this woman who at times is scared and at times strong, at times suicidal, and at times able to go on and take care of her children. She's all of it. She's all of it at once. And this film gives us that. Well, I've gone on long enough. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, keep watching great films. Bye for now.